0: Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Brown, and welcome to the Millie Podcast. The more I talk with people, the more I'm hearing the same thing. We're all looking for more meaning and more substance. People want to get away from the scripted reality and get to the heart of each person's story. This podcast is for women who want to rip up the script and explore new ideas, places, and possibilities. Every two weeks, I'll be talking with an inspiring and inspired woman who is creating impact in her community, and more importantly, a woman who can teach us to be ourselves, go after our dreams, and write our own story. I can't wait to share this journey with you. It's time to see the world in a different way. Today, I am excited to introduce you to Ricarda Bouchat, who I had the pleasure of meeting and interviewing during my trip to Berlin last fall. Ricarda leads with love and acceptance, which became immediately clear to me when talking with her.
1: I don't know where this comes from. Maybe I read a book or something. Like I remember saying this to my mother when I was a child. I wanted to go to Tibet. Then I did. There still is no freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of movement that doesn't exist. I ended up working quite a lot, joining a few different NGOs that were providing English and German classes to Tibetan refugees. Met someone there, (laughs) fell in love. Just one of those crazy moments when you know you've met someone who's going to be significant in your life. Yeah, Ricarda is a
0: humanitarian and the coordinator of Give Something Back to Berlin's Open Kitchen project. There's not
1: that many spaces That are completely free. We don't expect anything in return. And by being there, they're contributing to the community. I've seen so many people kind of come to the project and then just take off with a completely different feeling of confidence.
0: Give Something Back to Berlin, a community-based NGO located in a very hip area of Berlin, connects migrants, refugees
1: and locals, building a more open and inclusive society. It's so Profound in a way to realize just how much you have in common as a human, you know, not othering people based on their legal status or their background or their religious beliefs or whatever, Mm -hmm. just sitting at a table and being together as humans.
0: Mm -hmm. Ricardo's program brings people together to share authentic and open conversation and experiences through preparing and sharing traditional meals. Part of it
1: is the simplicity of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we all need to eat. And getting together and doing that with a group of people that you don't necessarily know before can be such an effective way of leveling, you know. We all sit around the same table. We all sit and eat the same food. And we all share our stories. I attended this weekly group-led cooking
0: event, and it was so incredible to experience. In a city that was, at the time, new to me, I immediately felt like home. Ricarda, thank you so much for joining me today. So just mm -hmm. like catching up your son, Mm -hmm. just, you know, what are some of his favorite things to do as a three-year-old? Octopuses, everything. Octopuses. He's
1: obsessed. Why octopuses? They just kind of... Appeared. I think we went to that um, Kasuma exhibition. You know this Japanese artist who's been in New York for the longest time. She used to do these happenings in the 60s. There was a big retrospective in one of the big museums here in Berlin. We went to see it a couple of weeks ago. And she works with these large kind of organic shapes. And just as you're entering this big museum, there's a big hall. And it was kind of these humongous, inflatable tentacles. And yeah, and then it just kept popping cool. up again and again. There was octopuses on random occasions. And I think wow. I also just kind of, you know, encouraged yeah. an obsession because I think that's a really cool thing to get into.
0: Yeah. How cool is that? So your son's inspiration is by some famous artist. How cool of him. Yeah. Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah. I love it's that. It's really funny. He's just very curious, observant, kind mm-hmm. of in. gets very stuck in things. I see a lot of myself in him, Mm -hmm. you know, I can sort of observe traits in him that I'm like, yeah, and I get stuck in stuff like that. You know, I get obsessed with things and I I think he gets kind of lost in stories. The Mm -hmm. only way he's going to eat his dinner is if I build broccoli forests and walls of tofu and stuff like this. So I think that's, I I see myself in that a lot. That's so
0: cute. You're a new mom-ish. Ish. 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 Yeah. How do you think motherhood has changed your outlook on the world? Oh,
1: God. (laughs) I don't know if it's necessarily changed things, but just heightened Mm -hmm. things, like heightened sense of awareness, heightened a sense of need for justice and need for um, equal opportunities. And it's... Yeah, it's just another level of awareness of the system that we're working with and how it's not working for humans. You know, like when we're looking at birth, you know, I told you I got into birth work after having him. And I feel like, yeah, just being aware of all the things that can go wrong or that systematically do go wrong in birth, in pregnancy, in postpartum. And the all the places that women are being left alone or families are being left alone, partners, children. Um, and that's something I wasn't necessarily aware of before I had mm-hmm. a child because it didn't affect me that much. And now it's just so present. And i it's just another thing where I'm like, oh, "How? what can I do to change this? How can we, yeah. who do we need to talk to? Or um, what's, how can I, you know, just contribute? Mm-hmm. In, in in some way possible mm-hmm. yeah and I think it's just because it matters on a different level now you know before it was me and it was fine if things weren't necessarily going according to plan but with him you know there's another human who depends on me making yeah. decisions and yeah being in the right environment and these kind of things so it just matters on a different level
0: yeah. I mean, taking care of a whole nother human mm-hmm. and shaping them, mm. you know. Well,
1: I I don't know if I like talking about it that way because mm. I think he's got everything that he needs. I yeah. just want to keep him safe in a space where he can act, you know, and where he, he can do that himself. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Set him up for you know, his own independence and mm-hmm. he can create his own ideas and mm-hmm. his own mindset.
1: Yeah. And then just encourage him because mm-hmm. it's all there, you know, that natural sense of empathy and this yeah. kind, it's all there. You just need to create the right environment for them to flourish.
0: I love that. All mm-hmm. the mothers listening. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you work for Give Something Back to mm-hmm. Berlin. Yeah. Will you share with us what this organization is all
1: about and what you do there? Sure. Um, so Give Something Back to Berlin is kind of acting like a safe space, like a platform where people who are new to the city or actually have been in the city for a long time, but feel like they want to connect more um, with their kids, with their neighborhoods or with with, um, society at large, really. And we get together, we open spaces based on different topics. You know, we have a music school, we've got... um, Open language um, spaces, um, art spaces, cooking, loads of different um, like mediums to, to get people to engage with each other and with society around them. And this is
0: offered free
1: it's to free. the community. Yeah, which the whole, is all of our projects are free. And I yeah. think that's a really important distinction because mm-hmm. there's not that many spaces that are completely free.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: And I think that's quite, it's a, it's a little bit of a finger to capitalism, if you want. You know, just offering something that's so valuable and such an important part in people's lives for no money whatsoever. Mm. And also no um, no need, we don't expect anything in return. You know, people coming to Sprachcafé, for example, sort of want to practice their German. They don't have to do something else in turn. They can just right. come And by being there, they're contributing to the community, you know. Mm -hmm. And what I do there, I joined a long time ago. I think it was about six years ago now that I started joining on a regular basis as a volunteer at first and then um, taking over the daily runnings and organization of the Open Kitchen, which is the cooking-based project. And then last... Winter. When a colleague left, I also took over organizing the language cafes. So there's an open English language cafe and a German one as well.
0: Yeah, it was yeah. it was awesome joining you for the night. I mm-hmm. got to see uh, firsthand what you know sitting down with totally different people mm-hmm. from different backgrounds from different parts of the world um, can do when you come together and mm-hmm. through the shared experience and shared mm-hmm. conversation. What about it speaks to you on that deep level?
1: Well, I think it's part of it is the simplicity of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we it's so simple. We all need to eat, you know, and getting together and doing that with a group of people that you don't necessarily know before can be such an effective way of like. Um, leveling, you know, everyone's sort of at the same level. There's no hierarchy in it. We all sit around the same table. We all sit and eat the same food and we all share our stories. And I like how effective it is because mm-hmm. I've seen so many people kind of come to the project, arrive, settle in, and then just take off with a completely different feeling of confidence. And it's just, I've just seen how effective it is such a simple thing that can be so effective.
0: Yes, I got my footing here, not knowing many people. And it was an interesting mm-hmm. first few days. But then after that night on Wednesday, I felt like myself again. Mm. And the conversations that we had, especially, um, you know, I can't remember his name, but uh, he was from Sudan, oh, Ali, and he was amazing. Yeah, everyone was amazing. But just, you know, I'm from Canada, and it's we're very far in distance. So to connect with similar values and similar mm-hmm. viewpoints mm-hmm. of the world and of our journey and mm-hmm. our commonalities connecting us was extremely cool.
1: Yeah, it can be so it's, it's so profound in a way to realize just how much you have in yeah. common as a human, you know, not othering people based on their legal status or their background or their religious beliefs or whatever, Mm -hmm. just sitting at a table and being together as humans. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. What are some of the hopes that you have that come out of these dinners? So what are some of the hopes that you have for, you know, the local community here in Berlin and anyone coming Mm -hmm. to Berlin for the first time? What are your hopes that they get out of that night?
1: Well, just a, a sense of belonging. You know, we all sort of ache for that feeling of belonging, don't mm-hmm. we? We go through life joining different clubs, belonging to different, you know, groups, choirs, orchestras, whatever, or, you know, just little cliques of people. And that feeling of belonging is something that motivates so many of us on a daily basis. And I feel like this is something we can do very Easily by just opening that space, having very low hierarchies. We don't really distinguish between volunteers and participants. Mm -hmm. Everyone who comes along, whether they're sort of, in quotation marks, giving something that day or receiving something, it doesn't matter. Because everyone, even just coming in through the door, showing an interest and participating, you're contributing to the community And I think that's something people take with them, Mm -hmm. uh, realizing that that is possible, that Mm -hmm. them being somewhere is enough. You know, you are enough.
0: Yeah, it's really beautiful. You did not always start out in the social impact space. Can you tell us about your journey
1: to get here? Yeah. And what you did before? So I started out in fashion. I, after school, decided to go to the UK and study fashion business in my undergrad and then fashion marketing in my master's. And then that was in Scotland. And then I got back to um, Germany, moved to Berlin and started out in, yeah, doing fashion marketing for a a global shoe brand.
0: Um, Quite different.
1: (laughs) Quite different. I mean, it was 40 hours, you know, it was sat behind a table, a desk, you know, answering emails, organising trade shows, that kind of stuff. And it wasn't a bad job. And I had a really lovely team, really, like, really lovely manager. And it was a really positive environment. But I realised quite quickly that this is, I just, Mm -hmm. it's just not me. You know, no matter how hard I work, no matter how many hours I put in, nothing really changes, Right. you know. Other than possibly a couple people making more profit. Yeah. And that just didn't it didn't feel right. And the whole messaging was around empowering women, you know? And I was like, felt I didn't feel empowered, you know. I didn't feel like this was yeah. really worth all that right. work. Yeah. And then I well was making good money and um treated myself to a long Um, a long wish of mine going to Tibet. I don't know where this comes from. It was like, I remember saying this to my mother when I was a child. I wanted to go to Tibet one day and I I really don't remember where that came from. Maybe I read a book or something. But then I did. And I was in 2014. I went for three weeks and had this absolutely profound, life-changing experience, just crying the entire time, feeling a sense of connection and exactly this sort of deep, belonging mm-hmm. that I hadn't felt for such a long time or possibly never before. And um, then I got back to Berlin, quit my job, um, packed a couple of bags and uh, went to Nepal in the beginning of 2015. How, how did you know? There was just something I had to figure out, had to understand. <laughs> so
0: excited listening to this. <laughs> it's like...
1: It was a really strange time because the whole time my rational Mm -hmm. German side was like, what are you doing? And my mother being like, what are you doing? You know, Mm just questioning. But I felt like I had to figure out what that feeling was and why that was so deep. Um, Inspiring. (laughs) Kind of crazy because the timing, I mean, the timing couldn't have been more, I don't know. I guess a pr- profound in a sense as well, because when I arrived in Nepal, it wasn't long before that massive earthquake happened. In yeah. April, I think it was 21st, 26th, um, April 2015. And it just, we we were lucky where I was. We were fine. Everyone I knew was fine. I know that a couple of people back in the villages lost a lot of family members, but essentially I wasn't, like immediately confronted with that. But there was also no way of ignoring what just happened. There was mm-hmm. no way of just going home as soon as the flights were starting up again, you know. Yeah. So I joined a really beautiful NGO. Um, we went around in different schools in Kathmandu district, helped people rebuild um, their schools, the village schools. And then eventually, after a few months, I went to India, to Dharamsala, and because it also didn't feel right to just, like, yeah. you know, go on holiday now, I ended up working quite a lot, joining a few different NGOs that were providing English and German classes to Tibetan refugees. Mm-hmm. And then I did that for a couple of months and then met someone there, <laughs> uh, fell in love yeah, and, yeah, kind of kept going back to India Back and forth for the next couple of years until I got pregnant. And then he's now here.
0: Your husband does not have a traditional story.
1: Well, I guess traditional for a Tibetan. Right. You know, he's he's one of the many Tibetans who left Tibet when he was a teenager, early young adult. Um, joined a monastery in -hmm. India because that was really one of the only opportunities to have a somewhat stable and secure life, you know. There was no way of going to school at that age. There was no job prospects, not speaking Mm -hmm. Hindi, not having any formal education. So he joined a monastery because that was really, yeah, what a lot of people did. So it is traditional in a different, you know, not for us, but for them that's quite Mm -hmm. common. Mm-hmm.
0: Can we talk about your husband a bit more? Sure. So for everyone listening who is completely unfamiliar with, you know, the crisis and the situation in Tibet that was happening, mm. you had mentioned to me that there
1: were no rights. Yeah. There still really isn't, you know, there still is no freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of movement that yeah. doesn't exist in kind of keeps going in waves a little bit. Sometimes things get a bit easier, but it's not, there hasn't been any kind of freedom of choice for Tibetan people for 60 years. Mm. Yeah.
0: And what inspired his move to India?
1: It was around a time, I think, in the early 80s when there was a little bit of a lift, you know. There was, Mm -hmm. the restrictions on Tibetan people were incredibly hard during the 60s, 70s. Yeah. And then there was a little bit of a lift in the early 80s. Some monasteries were allowed to be rebuilt, I guess, for, you know, tourist functions to some extent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and letters were coming in all of a sudden from relatives who'd left, you know, in in the late 50s, early 60s. And he received a letter from his aunt that he didn't even know existed anymore, you know, and yeah. then felt he had to just figure out where she was and sees the Dalai Lama once in his life i don't think he realized i mean he was 17 maybe yeah. yeah i don't think he realized he would never be able to go back yeah you know because he hasn't he hasn't been back hasn't seen his parents both of them have now passed away you know mm-hmm. and has tried numerous times to get visas or passports to go back and was denied every time because there's a sense of threat from people who are like him who's who's educated. You know, mm-hmm. he went through thirty years of Buddhist education. Mm-hmm. And for the Chinese government, obviously, that's someone who could potentially be quite threatening mm-hmm. to the status quo. Wow.
0: So what was your first encounter with him like?
1: Oh, he was my student. Yeah. <laughs> Scandal. <laughs> um, <laughs> It's quite scandalous, isn't it? Just one of those crazy moments when you know you've met someone who's gonna mm-hmm. be significant in your life.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? Just loads, endless conversations and it's a really funny dance around each other because obviously, <laughs> like, I'm not sure is this okay. I, I guess it's not okay. And then for him mm. as well, like really having to weigh up, um, you know. Is, am, am I ready to give up everything that I know in my life, mm-hmm. you know, to follow that? And he did. Wow. <laughs> it's Crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's exciting, though. So romantic.
1: Yeah, Also a bit crazy.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think it's important, though. You know, I think like after you and I spoke for the first time, the biggest feeling that stuck with me was like you took the leap for love, which is so beautiful and bold Mm. and I think it's very vulnerable and often scary. It's really scary. (laughs) So it's really inspiring that you did
1: that. Mm.
0: What was going through your mind (laughs) at the time?
1: Uh, A lot. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Yeah. Just a lot of like thinking is this, you know, what role do I play in this person's life or, Mm -hmm. you know... Is this my place? Is this, you know, mm-hmm. can I ask that of someone? But I guess he's an adult, you know, he made that decision himself. He decided mm-hmm. to come here as well. And yeah, I mean, I think it's important to remember that you can make you can get inspired by someone in your life to change your life, but you shouldn't change your life for that person right because mm-hmm. that's too much responsibility. So I think it's important to remind yourself that this is something you want to do for yourself yeah you know so I never asked him to do that for me. It's like if you want to come here, I will do everything I can to get that visa you know mm. but you need to decide if you want to do that for yourself and not for us
0: that's really really smart
1: yeah smartly put I mean it's still really difficult in when you're actually doing it Mm -hmm. you still feel a sense of responsibility towards that person but it's important to bear that in mind Mm -hmm. that we are all agents of our own kind of Mm -hmm. happiness
0: yeah and that's a really good reminder yeah I'm like oh yeah (laughs) that's right (laughs) Um, you know, your husband with his, you know, there's a big human rights issue there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's really outrageous mm-hmm. what he's had to go through. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you watching someone that you love struggle? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word, but go through these insane obstacles to mm-hmm. even get a passport, I think. Oh, right, God, It was
1: a nightmare. Yeah. It's infuriating, mm-hmm. you know, and also to sort of feel for the first time kind of let down by your own country. I mean, not that I am would have ever felt patriotic before, but, you know, the way I grew up, I always had access to all the things I needed from mm-hmm. the German system, you know? like yeah. If I needed a passport, I got a passport. If I needed to go somewhere, I went somewhere. If I needed to register or get help, you know, um, unemployment benefits or whatever, I just had to go fill out the forms and then that was done Mm -hmm. and then with him for the first time realizing oh that is not you know it's not actually not everyone has access to that and it's infuriating it's disappointing um yeah and I think it was sobering to experience that firsthand for the first time Mm -hmm. you know always reading about it in a sort of abstract sense but for the first time being um personally involved in that
0: So what did you do? Like, can you share with us a little bit about that journey and how he finally
1: got here? Yeah. Well, so there was a tourist visa at one point that was refused twice. And then the third time after I just called the embassy and I was like, I don't know what else you want from us. Mm -hmm. Like, can you explain? And then suddenly without comment, there was a visa. It was really strange. Um... And then for... So the good thing about Germany is that the father of a German child has the right to be in Germany right. until that child is 18 and is sort of an adult. Mm-hmm. So we always knew he would have the right to be here mm-hmm. when I got pregnant, you know, as as soon as I accepted the paternity, acknowledged the paternity, yeah. he would have the right to be here. But... What was really hard was the Indian side of things, where it took a year and a half to get passport. <laughs> oh, God. And then, you know, there's a lot of traveling, lots of, you know, documents involved, lots of kind of waiting around for appointments. Yeah. I ended up going to India at one point during my pregnancy so we could go to the consulate together and just feeling kind of... Questioned, even though I'd signed everything, you know, just having questions around his paternity and really (laughs) a little bit. It was suggested, but I think just um, because I, I think there's different legal things at play. For example, surrogacy being legal in India and not in Germany. So I think there's maybe questions around that. Okay, you know, and I think they. Dropped a hint around human trafficking. I don't remember in what context that was, but there must be a long history of, wow. you know, issues. Right. Yeah, but it, it was so weird. It's like, well, clearly I'm pregnant, and yeah. what you know, <laughs> why is why is anyone questioning this? I I didn't really feel it was very confusing to stand there mm-hmm. and be questioned mm-hmm. around that, and. Yeah, and then there was issues with uh, with my son's birth certificate here because obviously Sonam doesn't have a birth certificate. So that was difficult to kind of, a difficult thing to navigate here. And then because Dawa was born, because Sonam got here, we had to like send documents back and forth between India and Germany and that always took time and, you know, getting signatures on things was hard. And Mm -hmm. so... I don't remember how long it took to get the birth certificate. Ages. Wow. Month. You know. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. But once that was all done, it then just happened really quickly. Like, suddenly he was here. But still, you know, we have to go back to that office every year, pay money, get a new residency permit because he doesn't fulfill X, Y, Z criteria to get a longer one. And it's really, it's just... Mm-hmm. You know, clearly he's here and he he's not going anywhere, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. not until his child is 18. And then why do we have to go back every year? It costs money every year. It's hard to get appointments. You can only get point appointments like six months down the line. And it's just a lot of paperwork.
0: Yeah. How do you think people can be more compassionate in their lives? (sighs) I know this is a big one for you, but you know what you know. Like, you know what you believe. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about that.
1: I think a big one is listening. Yeah. Listening without preparing yourself to answer, but genuinely Mm -hmm. listening.
0: Yeah, that's a really good one.
1: Because a lot of the time, I mean, I do this myself, you know, I'm in a conversation, it's flowing, it's exciting, and I have this brilliant thing to say, but then I forget to listen. You know, I hear a couple of keywords, and then I'm just like ready with my answer. But when you sit down and listen, that's when the quality of the conversation changes. You know, that's when you get to a different level of conversation. Yeah, like Yeah, and it's a different kind of connection Mm -hmm. with a person.
0: Yeah, it really is. Is there a favorite mantra or quote that you live by? What inspires
1: you? That's a really good question. I know, it's harder than it sounds. It's really quite hard. I mean, something that kind of gets me through difficult things is just the knowledge that everything is impermanent. Mm. I try and remind myself of that, whether it's like little unpleasant moments where I'm in pain or discomfort and just mm-hmm. knowing that everything changes, you know, I nothing stays like that forever. And it's also a good reminder in the really positive times, you know, because you, when things are really beautiful, we tend to get really attached to that. Yeah. And, um, It's kind of good to remind yourself that everything changes and nothing stays the same forever. Even when it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: love that. Switching gears, Mm -hmm. one of your platforms is Mm anti-racism, human rights. How do you think the world needs to shift or maybe Germany specific needs to shift without getting too political? Because Mm -hmm. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know you're passionate about you know, equal rights, Mm. human basic human rights. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, the work that Gives Something Back to Berlin is doing for the refugee space originally, the migrant community, and now, you know, more open. Everyone, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it comes back to this thing as well of um, not othering people, not letting the labels that we attach to people um, be what we... um, we interact with people you know this is that was kind of the starting point of the kicking group is Mm -hmm. we're not here to support the political message of this group of refugees who was occupying that square that wasn't the reason that we started going there it was to let people know that we see them as people you know that we we are there to be together as humans Mm -hmm. and because this, this happens so quickly when you give people labels, you know, refugees, locals, mm-hmm. that's othering, that's two yeah. different groups. There's a lot of things they don't have in common, you know, by just putting those two very distinct labels on people and trying to get away from um, trying to put people into certain boxes and then deciding that those boxes need to be separate from each other.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things that you told me was you think it's important to have people from both sides.
1: Well, this is something I've been thinking about a lot because the polarisation that's happening, you know, where we refuse to talk to someone who's um, voted IFD. IFD is a a very right-wing kind of um, political party here in Germany. And I... (laughs) I... In a way, I'm like, oh, I can't, you yeah. know, it, it, it gives me, it, it fills me with lots of very strong emotions. But at the same time, I can't imagine that I've gone through my life and never had a positive conversation with someone who then ended up voting IFD. I'm sure at one point I was sitting in a park playing with my child and someone, mm-hmm. I ended up in a conversation with someone and had a really lovely time and felt like really kind of positive about that human connection. And then but not knowing that this person would have then voted IFD yeah. in the next election. And I can't imagine that that's possible. So that's something I'm trying to remind myself that underneath everything that sort of separates us or that distinguishes us, mm-hmm. there are things, we, there's some basic humanity that we share. Mm-hmm. And by trying to have conversations not about the political stuff. God, I can't even talk politics with my mother, you yeah. know? And I love her and respect her and have yeah. all the time in the world for her, but I can't talk politics with her. Um, And just reminding myself that there is something I have in common with every other human on this planet, and mm-hmm. that is humanity. You know, that is the fact that we are humans. And yeah. we actually have a lot more in common than we think.
0: Yes. Berlin is so free and artistic. Someone was mentioning it's a very tolerant city. Mm -hmm. And I like that word, that usage of the word tolerant, because I see a lot of intolerance Mm -hmm. in other places. Um, What is it like living here?
1: Well, I think the reality kicks in eventually, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. And it also has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, with housing prices rising at the rate that they are, this whole sort of liberal tolerance kind of, free vibe that you know was the reason that so many people moved to Berlin isn't quite as carefree anymore right you know
0: um because too too many people like everyone heard about it and everyone's here (laughs) sure
1: and I think everyone has I mean this is the problem isn't it? everyone has the right to be where they feel like they can be happy I feel like everyone should deserve a shot but it shouldn't be on the backs of either the people who've lived here forever who can't afford to pay the rent in their district anymore or even all the new arrivals are paying, oh my God, like incredible prices Mm -hmm. for housing now. And that's the problem. Like people are arriving and that's not a bad thing, but people are making profit off that, you know. And there's not enough things to keep keep that space safe. Mm -hmm. You know, the policy hasn't really caught up with that. Mm-hmm. It's still so much better than London or yeah. other places. You know, <laughs> it's still affordable if you're working, and um, so I think it's it's a it's a brilliant place to come and kind of figure things out about yourself that maybe mm-hmm. are more difficult to understand in different environments, either because it's more. Rest- I mean, we were talking about Poland, for example. Right. you know as a yeah. as a queer person, that's a that's not a safe space mm-hmm. in a lot of areas now. Yep. People come to Berlin to kind of explore that side of themselves and really grow into themselves and flourish and mm-hmm. feel safe being themselves. But is it just because it's better doesn't mean it actually is safe?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's still a lot of violence towards queer people, queer people of color. And yes, it's better. And there's a lot of spaces where people talk about it. And where people feel like they can come together and have safe spaces. But, you know, it's not paradise.
0: What would you like to see
1: change? (sighs) Maybe creating more spaces where that conversation is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, where that exchange actually happens between people. I don't know. What would I like to see change?
0: And we talked about the integration as well and how well, that and, – and so it's similar yeah. what you're doing with giving Something Back to Berlin and what you're saying now, more spaces where that's possible. Well,
1: also more spaces where it's a two-way street, mm-hmm. right, where it's not expected of immigrants coming in, assimilating, kind of fitting into the system yeah. they're coming into, but where people are realizing the only way that we can really live together, work together is by – finding each other, you know, sometimes halfway, sometimes a little bit away yeah, totally. from both sides.
0: Yeah. I really like Because that. the
1: reality is immigration is happening, no matter what deterrence policies the EU or other systems are putting in place. Immigration is happening and it will increase mm-hmm. because more and more spaces in the global south or in the world are just becoming less habitable, whether that's... Because of, I don't know, political collapse or climate change. It's a reality. And instead of pretending that we can stop that by closing borders, wouldn't it make a lot more sense to just create ways of making that as easy and smooth as possible for people? Mm -hmm. And so that everyone benefits from it too, you know? And people don't have this sense of fear around... Everyone coming in. It's such a weird. It's you know the way it's painted in right when media is just this catastrophic thing. And it's because there's there's no human stories told, you know, there's mm-hmm. just numbers or statistics which aren't always accurate either, you know? Mm-hmm. But we need to remind ourselves of the human stories behind that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually listening to you, I was gonna ask just for everyone listening, you know, what's your opinion on how we can be more open? But I think you just answered that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Seeing humans and the stories.
0: Yeah. Put yourself out there. Listen. Be yeah. open.
1: Yeah. yeah. And find something you connect over. Like, is that music? Do you share a love of music? Why don't you try and make music together? Yeah. if. If If it's food, which for me is, you know, that's one of my biggest ones.
0: I mean, let's switch gears. Tell us about how you come up with these amazing recipes. I know we <laughs> talked about this at the event, but it was so good.
1: Mm, yeah. Like,
0: I haven't had that sandwich before with all the herbs on the inside yeah. and the bra- I would never have thought to put that together. So what's it like having to be behind? Coming up with these recipes and doing it every week. Yeah. And also curating these experiences for people, you yeah. know.
1: It's exciting. And it's, it's. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time yeah. now. We kind of, you know, we've had to reinvent ourselves a couple of times because of space limitations or changes and mm. kind of um, makeup of the group. but. You know, we kind of know what works Mm -hmm. now, and some of these recipes are tried and tested. That bread, for example, is tried and tested. Yeah, it's so inventive. Whoa! (laughs) (laughs) But I also have, you know, there's a lot of very, very capable and interested and excited um, participants coming. Yeah, you know, and they'll come once, and then they realize, oh, actually there is no distinction between volunteers and participants. Like, I can suggest things, I can contribute to this, mm-hmm. I'll come shopping and maybe we can, you know, tweak this and that. Or, um, yeah, just trying to kind of encourage people to suggest things. Mm-hmm. Also trying to stay seasonal, yeah. kind of working with right. what's available right now, what's actually good right, right. now. right. Um, yeah, and there's a there's a very <laughs> super cool young chef, and she's been joining me for the last sort of two years, yeah. um, suggesting things, also building professional confidence, you know, yeah. and really feeling like she can host you know, larger yeah. groups of people now.
0: Well, it's also really cool because I think that people cooking the food, doing the barbecuing, you know, they're not chefs, so it's cool that people can step in and. Mm-hmm. you know put into action these really inventive recipes mm. and i'm gonna actually try to recreate it when i go home
1: i'll send it to you
0: <laughs> okay thank you i and even um doing those vegetables with the sauce and oh, the barbecue on the glaze. grill mm,
1: secret so recipe
0: <laughs> but i was yeah i think that sandwich was so inventive like just the herbs and um i think there's like lemon in it and dill maybe i just I think that was so cool yeah but again, so that
1: changes from week to week, you know, because yeah. it depends on what's available. And dill was mm-hmm. there this week, and that's why it was in there.
0: So, how can people listening get involved, and how can people make a difference with um, your organization or any of you know your platforms? I mean, we
1: are happy to take donations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just gonna put it out there. Um, yeah. Check out the website if you're in Berlin. Come and join any of the projects that sound interesting to you. You know, there's loads of weekly stuff happening. The music school has classes running every night of the week, pretty much, like during the week. Cooking is once a week. Language cafes are, you know, twice a week. And there's lots of other stuff to check out. And honestly, I would say get inspired. If you're in Canada or wherever you're listening, get inspired and think about how maybe something as simple as cooking together in your neighborhood once a week can really change people's lives. And it doesn't take a lot. I mean, what do we spend? We spend 50 euros a week for 15 people. That's really not that much.
0: Amazing. I mean,
1: more goes into it, obviously, the rent of the space and, you know, people's um, wages. But if this is something you feel like you would like to try out for yourself, it doesn't have to be weekly. It could be once a month, you know, just opening your kitchen, your spaces to people can be really effective.
0: I'm so inspired right now. I'm like, what can I do when I get home? <laughs> I want to have I wanna do something like this. It's been tough with COVID. Yeah, sure. You know, so um that's actually been a um like a roadblock for us back home. But um and there's, you know, a lot of online events, but um, you know, it's great to see countries slowly open up and <sighs>
1: Well, I mean, we'll see what happens next. You know, yeah. we were online for a long time, even with cooking and everything else. Mm. It was quite funny for a while, but I think eventually the sort of online tiredness oh, sets in and oh, yeah. just over Zoom, yeah. you know? Zoom fatigue. <laughs> yes.
0: But Honestly, thank you so much for joining me. I know the people listening will feel like, yep, I'm going to get out and do something right now, you I know? I really
1: hope so, because it can really make a difference.
0: Yeah, thank you for that.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for getting in touch.
0: A pleasure. So good to meet you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for this insightful, energizing conversation with Ricarda. Find out more about Give Something Back to Berlin and how you can get involved at www.gsbtb.org. And join us next time as we welcome Shona Gupta to the Millie Podcast. Shona is the founder and CEO of Maharindi a skincare line made with a combination of ancient Indian wisdom and CBD science. Tune in to hear about Shona's pivot from Fortune 500 marketer to being a founder of a CBD skincare line, which she launched during the height of COVID-19. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please hit subscribe, share with your friends and visit us at Millie.ca.